Hello there, I'm Geoffrey Wyatt, one of the team here at Sydney Observatory, part of the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. I'm going to talk to you about what's visible in the sky for the month of September. What we're going to do is a tour of the night sky, so of course you'll need some provisions. Somewhere warm and comfortable to sit, a blanket, a cup of coffee, or Milo, or if you're old enough, perhaps a glass of red wine to assist your imagination. One of the most important things that you can have with you is your printable map that you can download from our website at www.maz.museum forward slash observations. If possible, I want you to find a high position so that you can see as much of the horizon as you possibly can in all four cardinal directions. That's right, north, east, south and west. If you're up against your neighbour's tree or house, then of course you're going to lose some of the view. But some of us just can't help that. So make do with what you've got. But if you can, a clear view in all directions will make all the difference. Wait for the sun to set, and then a little more until it's nice and dark, perhaps up to an hour or so after sunset. Look up, and what do you see? Clouds? Possibly. Stars? Hopefully. For some who are travellers, the stars are guides. For others, they are no more than little lights in the sky, as said in The Little Prince by Antoine Dusson et Zupéry. I would like us all to be travellers together, and we shall begin by looking towards the western horizon. From there, go up to about 60 degrees, or three outstretched handspans from pinky to thumb tip. What you'll see is the 15th brightest star in the night sky. It's a red supergiant, which means, of course, it's a pretty big star. It's about 15 times the mass of the Sun, 700 times the diameter of the Sun, and about 600 light-years away. It is Antares. It is the brightest star in a group of stars, or constellation, that we call Scorpius. A light-year is the distance that light travels in a year in the vacuum of space. It's a long way. For those of you who like numbers, it's about 9.5 times 10 to the power of 15 metres. For those of you that like kilometres, it's roughly 9,500 billion kilometres. It's not a very convenient way of thinking about it, to be honest. So we tend to just use light year. You're seeing this star as it was about 600 years ago. You're looking back in time. How cool is that? Antares. Its name came about because every now and then, roughly every 800 days or thereabouts, the planet Mars wanders fairly close by. The Greek name for Mars is Ares. As Ares, god of war, would go past this fairly bright reddish star, they look similar. This star was called rival of Mars, anti-Aries, Antares. When you look into the night sky, 
you might be able to see around two to 3,000 objects depending on your age and your eyesight. It's very hard to remember which one is which unless you have a memory aid, something to help you. A dot-to-dot -dot picture with a good story behind it is a fairly handy way of doing it. To the ancients, the area of the sky that we're looking at now appeared like a small but nasty animal. Antares marks its heart. There is a star on either side which should make up the body. If you go down just a little bit toward the western horizon, there's a perpendicular line of stars to the ones we've just mentioned, which will be the head and the claws on either side. From the head and claws, go back up through the line of three with Antares in the middle, then curling up and around will be a long and dangerous tail of the scorpion. Scorpius is a constellation, and a constellation is simply a region of the sky. Many of the figures in constellations are hard to identify until you see them on a map or someone points them out to you, but once you've seen them, they are easy, with a little practice. And constellations are a bit like a suburb. There are many suburbs in a city. As soon as someone mentions a particular one, it gives you a rough idea of where it is, and it's much the same with the sky. Over thousands of years, the sky has been mapped and broken up into, now, 88 different sky suburbs or constellations, and Scorpius is one of the more famous. It has many good stories about it, but as you can imagine, the stories that we have now may not be the same as they were thousands of years ago. One that I particularly like revolves around another very famous constellation, the mighty hunter Orion. He boasted that he could kill any animal on the planet. This displeased Gaia, the goddess of the earth and protector of animals. So she created a giant scorpion, Scorpius, to kill him. So epic was the battle that even Zeus, king of the gods, stopped what he was doing and watched the fight. Ultimately, Orion was killed, and Zeus placed the scorpion in the sky for all of us to see. But Artemis, goddess of the hunt, who was a good friend, took pity on Orion and asked Zeus to also place Orion's body in the sky as well, but on directly the opposite side of the sky, so that the two would never fight again. This very simple stick figure of a scorpion, therefore, has a wonderful story behind it. When you've been able to see the full constellation of Scorpius, if you have a pair of binoculars or a small telescope, scan around the tail region. There are some nice objects there, including some lovely clusters of baby stars, called M6, the butterfly cluster, and M7. They're simply the sixth and seventh objects in a catalogue developed by a man whose name began with M. Charles Messier. It was done quite some time ago, but we still use it. Once you've seen the star clusters, go a little bit higher, but you'll need to have your printable map because the next group of stars is rather hard to see. What you're looking for is a half man, half horse with a bow and arrow. Can you see it? I'll give you a few seconds. Found it yet? I don't think so. It's nearly impossible.
If you can see a half man, half horse with a bow and arrow, you're doing very well. Or perhaps it's been shown to you before. Because to many people, it looks much more like an old-fashioned teapot. Yes, that's right. Those of you out there with the birthday star sign of Sagittarius, you're now a teapot. Unofficially, of course. This group of stars is fairly important to look at because it points to the centre of our Milky Way galaxy. If you can get away from the bright city lights and there's no moon, and you look up at this time of year, you should be able to see a glorious view of Via Lactea by Milk, our galaxy, the Milky Way. It's simply breathtaking from a dark, clear sight. Try to find the teapot, because... If you do find it, and in particular the spout, in that direction roughly 26,000 light-years away, is the heart of our galaxy and an object called Sagittarius A star. It is a massive black hole, roughly 4 million times the mass of the Sun. NASA's Swift Space Telescope has been observing it, and in 2014 it gave astronomers enough data to work out that it's roughly 44 million kilometres in diameter. Black holes are rather bizarre objects. At the centre of every black hole there is something called a singularity, a point, a mathematical point with infinite density and no size. Oh dear. That makes my head hurt. And that makes my head hurt. Around that singularity, there is a sphere, a sphere of influence called the event horizon. And that event horizon is the part with a diameter of 44 million kilometres. Travel over the event horizon and, uh uh-oh, it's not good times ahead. In fact, we call it spaghettification, being ripped apart atom by atom. But we don't know for sure what happens once you go over that event horizon because you leave the observable universe. Let's move along from Sagittarius and start to head down toward the east. You might have to turn around a little bit, so you're now facing east. The next constellation down is the first of the water signs. It's a fairly faint group of stars. What I want you to do is look for a group that looks a little bit like a triangle that's been bent. Technically, I suppose, that makes it a quadrilateral. And what you're looking at is Capricornus. Half goat, half fish. This is such a bizarre creature, and the story behind it gave us the word panic. But I don't have time to go into that here now. There's not a lot else to see there. So let's leave Capricornus and head down a little bit more. This constellation is also very hard to see, but once it's been shown to you, I think you'll find that it's not that hard. All you're looking for are the shoulders, the jug, and the line of water flowing from the zodiac constellation of Aquarius. He was the most handsome youth ever, and his name was Ganymede. He was carried from the earth up to Mount Olympus by Aquila the Eagle, 
where he became the water carrier. I take it back. It's actually pretty hard to see. But from Aquarius, there is a line of stars that seems to meander across the sky to a bright star that you can see at about 30 degrees. So that's one hand span for 20 degrees and one clenched fist for about 10 degrees above the eastern horizon. It's a relatively bright star called Fomalo, the mouth of the southern fish, or Pisces astrinus. Long, long ago, Fomalo used to mark the position of the winter solstice as seen from the northern hemisphere, but no longer. That point has moved on because of the Earth's procession of the equinoxes. Fomalo is a fairly young star. It's only about 400 million years old and about 25 light years away. At twice the size of the Sun, it's pretty big. After you've been able to see Fomalo, oh, by the way, the rest of the constellation to me looks a little bit like a paisley swirl, with the brighter star at the bottom of it as we're looking at it right now. What I want you to do is turn to your left, and that means we're heading toward the north. It's pretty hard to see, but we're going to go past the constellation of Pegasus, which will look like a big square. Now it's very low at this time. As we go a little bit further toward the north, past another group of stars that looks like a large, faint cross. You'll need a perfectly clear view toward the north to see this one. It is the constellation of Cygnus the Swan, and the home of the first suspected black hole ever found, and it's called Cygnus X1. Go a little bit past that, and what you're looking for is the fifth brightest star in the night sky. It's only about 18 to 20 degrees above the horizon. Remember, as we've said before, that's roughly one outstretched hand, pinky tip to thumb tip above the horizon. What you're looking for is the star Vega. Again, like Fomalo, it's only about 25 light years away and about twice the mass of the Sun. It's less than 500 million years old, so it's young for a star. But the cool part is, 12,000 years ago, it was the North Polar Star. It seems that many people think that the stars never move, but they do. And the patterns change over very, very long periods of time. The Earth also wobbles over a 26,000 year period, known as the precession of the equinoxes. So, 12,000 years ago, Vega was the North Polar Star, and roughly in another 14,000 years, it will be the polar star again. But don't worry about waiting for that one. I love looking at this star, the, the fifth brightest star called Vega. By the way, for the science fiction buffs, it was the destination star in the fabulous 1956 movie Forbidden Planet. If you go from Vega at roughly 18 to 20 degrees above the northern horizon up to about 35 degrees, so that's one hand spam with the fingers wide open, one clenched fist, and then half a fist. Got that? Good. If you can do that, you will see another fairly bright star. 
This is Altair, Eye of the Eagle. That was the eagle that carried the youth Ganymede up to Mount Olympus to become Aquarius the water-bearer. Vega and Altair, two bright stars separated by the Milky Way, the river in the sky. Throughout Asia, on the 7th of July, legend says that birds come together and build a bridge over the Milky Way so the two stars can be together for just one day. Oddly, nothing actually happens in the sky, but I love this story, and in Japan, the girl, Vega, is known as Orihime, meaning the princess, and the boy is Hikoboshi. In China, it's Jianyu and Nulan. My pronunciation, however, may be off somewhat, so please forgive me. This story is also quite famous in Vietnam and Korea. The sky really is a multicultural delight. Continue now to turn to your left and past where we started. To the southwest, we're looking for a second centaur, half man, half horse. And this one's name is Chiron. He was a wonderful teacher. According to mythology from long, long ago, he was the tutor to Achilles, Hercules and Jason. What we're looking for is a fairly bright star that makes up one of his front feet. Its altitude is about 40 degrees above the horizon. How do we do that? Aha, of course. Two handspans, pinky to thumb tip. That's about 40 degrees. If you can see one bright star there, you've nailed it. That's Alpha Centauri. It's the closest star to us after the sun and the third brightest star in the night sky. The interesting thing about this star, Alpha Centauri, is that it's a visual binary, which means that if you have a small telescope, this one star looks like two snuggled up against each other. In reality, they're not. The distance between them varies enormously. They're in a dance, a dance that takes roughly 80 years for them to go around each other just once. At their closest, they're roughly the distance from the Sun to the planet Uranus. At their most distant, nearly double that from the Sun to Neptune. One of them is a little bit bigger than our Sun, one of them is a little bit smaller. But it's a little more complicated than just being a binary star because there is a third in the system. The third star is a small red dwarf going around the other two going around one another. The third star comes closer to us than any other star apart from the Sun and is called Proxima Centauri at 4.24 light years. Recently, in the search for exoplanets, a small planet just a little bit bigger than the Earth has been detected in orbit around Proxima Centauri. It takes about 11 days to go around once, so it's very close to the parent star. But because it's not as big or as hot as the Sun, that actually puts this planet, called Proxima b, into what's called the Goldilocks zone. Theoretically, it means that liquid water may exist on this planet. Stay tuned, 
because I am sure over the next few years or perhaps decades there will be more studies and information released about this intriguing new and close exoplanet. Just below Alpha Centauri is the second brighter star in the Centaur, so it's called Beta Centauri. It represents another of the front feet of the half-man, half-horse. From there, there's a line of stars that again you'll need the star map to see, that wraps around indeed the smallest of all 88 constellations, and that is the Southern Cross, Crux. It's getting a bit low in the southwest at this stage, and too hard for us to see right now. Keep going around to your left, past due south and into the southeast. You'll see the ninth brightest star in the night sky. That is Achenar, the brightest star in the constellation of Eridanus the river. It's an amazing constellation because it winds its way across so much of the night sky. It's an interesting star too. At about 140 light years away, it's seven times the mass of the sun, but about 3,000 times brighter. It's very, very bright. But because of the distance, it fades to being the ninth brightest star as we see it. It's also intriguing because it spins so quickly at about 250 kilometers per second. Its equatorial diameter is about 56% greater than its polar diameter. That makes it one of the flattest stars we've ever seen. When we look up and see stars, we see mostly single points of light scattered here and there. But that is not the reality. The majority of stars come in groups of two or more. And they are as close to as immortal as we can imagine. Our galaxy, and indeed our universe in which we live, is a very unusual and beautiful place, and all we have to do to explore is look up. Special events for September 2018, and let's start with the moon. Last quarter moon is on Monday the 3rd at 12.37pm. New moon is on Monday the 10th at 4.01am. First quarter moon will be on Monday the 17th at 9.15am. Full moon is on Tuesday the 25th at 12.52pm Australian Eastern Standard Time, or AEST. The spring equinox will occur on Sunday the 23rd at 11.54am. This is simply when we see the Sun move from the Northern Hemisphere and cross the celestial equator into the Southern Hemisphere, which for us signals the start of spring. In the Northern Hemisphere, however, it is the autumnal equinox. On the equinox, the Sun will rise due east and set due west. At the start of the month, sunset is about 5.37 p.m. and by the end of the month it's drifted 20 minutes to 5.57 p.m. At the start of the month sun rises at 6.14 a.m. and by the end of the month 5.34 a difference of 40 minutes so an extra hour of daylight by the month's end. 
We continue to enjoy four planets in the sky at the moment. Venus, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars. Venus, goddess of love and beauty in the constellation of Virgo, passes close by its brightest star, Spica, on the 1st and the 2nd of September. On the 13th, the 16% waxing crescent moon will be to the north, or to the right and above, Venus. Jupiter spends the month in Libra. On the 14th of September, the waxing crescent moon will be to the north, or to the right. Perhaps the most beautiful planet in the solar system, Saturn, is high in the constellation of Sagittarius. On the 17th, the first quarter moon is to the left or west and slightly below. If you'd like to see these planets in spectacular detail, although in reality still quite small, please come along to Sydney Observatory. We have many telescopes there and expert staff to help you enjoy the view. You can find our monthly Sky Guide podcasts on iTunes. If you want more detailed sky maps, sunrise and sunset times, moon and tidal times and a whole lot more, we recommend that you purchase the book The Australasian Sky Guide by Dr Nick Lom. It's available from Sydney Observatory and the Powerhouse Museum shops and online, of course, at www.maz.museum. If you come into our venues, it's only sixteen ninety-five, but a little bit more if you order online with postage and handling. For the very most up-to-date information, why not engage with us via Facebook? Go to facebook.com forward slash Sydney Observatory. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Sydney OBS. Please share any photos that you take of the night sky on our Facebook page and of course feel free to contact me or any of the team via the links on our blog. My name is Geoffrey Wyatt. I'm one of the team here at Sydney Observatory and the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. I hope you enjoyed this tour of what's visible in the southern sky for the month of September 2018.